have conviction in your vision, keep going. He learned a lot uh, from his furniture company in terms of buying software and the difficulties with it back in 2011 after he graduated, teamed up with his buddies, had his sights out for a big multi-million dollar first deal, hit the ground running and learned the hard way. It wasn't going to be so easy, but they've had success. They've scaled the company now over 650 people at AppDirect, basically doing what a you know a HubSpot might do for marketing and sales. They're doing for e-commerce, four core products, uh, many more, uh, or sorry, beachheads, many products under each of those beachheads. Again, measuring kind of gross market volume or gross transaction volume across their customers using those products. Super healthy economics, 245 million bucks raised, uh, millions of paying customers. This is the Top Entrepreneurs Podcast, where founders share how they started their companies and got filthy rich or crash and burn. Each episode features revenue numbers, customer counts, and other insider information that creates business news headlines. We went from a couple of hundred thousand dollars to 2.7 million. I had no money when I started the company. It was $160 million, which is the size of many IPOs. We're bootstrapped. We have like 22,000 customers. With over 5 million downloads in a very short amount of time, major outlets like Inc. are calling us the fastest growing business show on iTunes. I'm your host, Nathan Latka, and here's today's episode. Hello, everyone. My guest today is Dan Sachs. He's president and co-CEO of AppDirect, the only end-to-end cloud commerce platform for succeeding in the digital economy, which he co-founded in 2009 with his partner. He and his co-founder dreamed to someday build a business worthy of the Inc. 500 list. Since starting his entrepreneurial journey, Dan and his co-founder officially launched the company in 2011, raised over $245 million in venture financing, and reached a company valuation of more than $1 billion. The AppDirect ecosystem now powers millions of cloud subscriptions worldwide and connects channels, developers, and customers to simplify the digital supply. Supply chain. All right, Dan, are you ready to take us to the top? Yeah, let's do it, Nathan. All right, very good. So let's just jump in kind of to day one. Uh, tell us first off, uh, before we get to that story, kind of what AppDirect does and how you make money. Money Is it pure place ass? Yeah, so AppDirect helps businesses find, buy, and use cloud services. And we generate revenue both from a share of the transaction fee or the rev share, as well as a platform fee for those that use our services to make money in the cloud. Yeah, and tip, I mean, today, when you break down revenues, though, is more of it coming from essentially the referral fees or more coming from just the, the flat SaaS fee to use the platform? Um, a combo of both, but definitely the, uh, the platform fee was the uh, you know, lion's share of, of the initial product. And then we see really, really high growth of the transaction fees as well. So it's similar to you know, a billing platform in that um, we run kind of a SaaS subscription as a white-labeled uh, marketplace and developer ecosystem. Um, that helps uh, businesses of all types, large businesses and small businesses. We work with a lot of major telcos, Comcast and others around the world, helps them get to market faster. Um, And then we also share an upside in the the seller. And so tell us the story about Comcast, specifically how do they use you? Yeah, definitely. So if you can, um, one of the opportunities that's emerged over the last several years with the growth in cloud is that um, businesses want to be able to access cloud services from people they trust. Um, and going back to the early founding of AppDirect, we always had this fundamental perspective that most businesses don't necessarily want to just go online and subscribe to services. They want to buy everything they need from a trusted provider. So Comcast is an example of a brand with Comcast Business that offers uh, you know, telecom services, uh, you know, internet, um, and is a great trusted provider to also offer things like collaboration services, uh, email, backup, uh, and others. So that's how we help them. We enable them to get access to a portfolio of services that they can sell to their customers. And then you've got kind of four different, I think, sectors with your market reseller devices and then your billing platforms. Each of those, there are mega, mega, mega players in terms of competition. So talk to me about kind of like the network modules built 
into AppDirect since you are a platform and how that allows you to defend each of those four beachheads? Yeah, definitely. I think what's unique about AppDirect is that based on the way that we are positioned in the market, we're really the only player that can enable um, someone to resell our portfolio of cloud services. And we focus on helping people monetize in the cloud as well as manage relationships. And our products fall across that different bucket. So while within each area, there may be you know, a pure play competitor, um, in terms of us, we're operating as the only suite. So you can think of it as what HubSpot is for marketing uh, and sales or for what you know, NetSuite is you know, for back office. We are for commerce. Um, so really helping a business end to end manage anything that they need in terms of making money in the cloud and managing their customer relationships in the cloud. Yeah. And then give me a sense on average. I mean, what are people, I mean, I, I'm sure there's a huge span. I don't want to go down every cohort, but on average, what do one of these customers pay you per month? Um, definitely. So, so, uh, you know, our license fees range, uh, you know, dramatically, yeah. um, but we have uh, entry level, you know, perspectives that would start around uh, a few K per, per month, depending on the complexity, um, and going all the way up to, you know, the hundreds of thousands for more complex deployments. Yeah. Today, well, I mean, I'm sure you have an inside sales team, this kind of thing. Is there a specific cohort you're focused on today? Are you generally moving upstream or downstream? Yes. Yeah, so we started, you know, the highest of upstream, um, and then we created beachheads in different verticals. So we've rolled out from telco to VAR and MSP. Um, and now actually what's a fascinating vertical for us is uh, manufacturing. So even traditionally, you wouldn't have thought of a manufacturing firm as one that is at a core a software company. But many firms uh, are looking to uh, digitally transform themselves through IoT. And therefore, if you used to you know, produce hardware, it's not the value is not necessarily in the hardware itself. It's around the connectivity and the software and the ecosystem you can provide. Um, so we're seeing you know, a lot of growth in our manufacturing vertical. And just to be clear, the number you said earlier where you kind of let people in in the many, many thousands range, you're talking ACV, ACV there or monthly ARPU? Um, monthly. Monthly ARPU. Okay, let's get more into the founding story. So 2011, where was your head? I mean, did you just quit a corporate job and your back is against the wall and you got to make something work? Where were you? Yeah, so I was actually graduating out of school and um, it was uh, you know just really the height of the recession. So businesses around the world were struggling um, my family actually had a furniture store in Niagara Falls, Canada on Main Street and you know, grew up in the store. My great grandparents started it. It was really the pride for us in the community. And you know, when, when the recession hit, we had to shut it down. Um, and that really kind of you know, marked me in saying you know, the, the opportunity for entrepreneurship you know, in the you know, early you know, 2009, 2010 timeframe was really bleak. Um, on the other hand, you came to visit uh, my co-founder, uh, who at the time was a banning company in San Francisco, and we kind of saw the opportunity that uh, cloud services could bring to really help empower business owners around the world. And the biggest gap that we saw in the uh, market is that uh, from my family experience, I remember that buying software was a major decision yep. and that we knew the people who sold us the software. I still remember the, the person's name who sold my family their ARP solution. His name was Rick Stark. Um, and he knew the furniture vertical really well. So we really sought to build this global network that connects the developers of applications with the end businesses. Um, and thus, you know, we've become this, uh, you know, ecosystem for, for distributing services and, around the world. And what have you scaled to today in terms of total customers using the platform? Yeah, so we, we reach now over 35 million customers around the world. So super excited to have you know, such a wide business footprint, uh, you know, from starting in an apartment exactly like that there. <laughs> when you say 35 million, are we talking like seats per logos or, or give me, tell me exactly what that means. Uh, that's our reach. So that would be the customer, uh, customers of our customers that we have yeah. reached to. 
Um, but we do have you know millions of paid business users. Got it. Got it. So we'll just I'll just put a, a minimum on that and say you have definitely more than a million, and those those obviously then touch you know on average thirty five each, right? If there's thirty five million with a minimum of a million. Uh, sure. Yeah. So, something like that. You, you have network effects. That's the easy way to say it, right? That's a network effects. Yeah. Yeah. Um, walk me through for that first year. So, wh- who was your first customer, and how'd you land them? Um, yeah. So our, our first customer was actually Bell Canada in Canada, and uh, you know it we wasn't the furniture company, huh? I know. There we go. Yeah. Um, but that was the that was the idea close to home. But the um, there were two people. Um, we were two people in an apartment at the time, and you know the idea of enabling this massive company was, was definitely a, you know, a daunting uh, task. Um, but we really believe that if we could empower a company that has, you know, big reach over, uh, you know, a, a country or an area, then that would have the biggest impact. So instead of, you know, going door to door and uh, selling directly to small businesses, we sought to partner with, you know, people who had millions of business customers. Um, so Bell had, you know, over half a million uh, business customers at the time in Canada um, and we really wanted to enable them to have early access to SaaS solutions. So we went and we uh, you know, aggregated relevant uh, services for the Canadian market, and that was our first footprint. And then because of you know Bell, we got uh, Deutsche Telekom, and because of that, we got what was that first sell though? Well, well, I'm, well, I mean, what was the size? I'm curious. Can you share since it was so long ago? Uh, yeah. So so, um, so the funny thing is that we we went in with this idea that. Okay, we're gonna you know propose this. We're gonna get budget, and it's gonna be you know, millions of dollars. Um, and you know, early days, we kind of thought because the project value was so big, we'd get a lot of that. Um, but one of the things that we realized is that while we approved Nearmark, the project had a lot of money. They didn't have enough, you know, a lot of budget for us ourselves. So yeah. we had to think creatively about how we help them to support you know the business case and get to market. So it's, this is usually an embarrassing number, but I'm curious. What, do you remember what first year revenue was? 2011. Um, yeah, I mean, it was in the like uh, hundreds of thousands. A couple hundreds. Of, okay, good. So, and did you bootstrap or did you raise before you even had a product? Um, so we bootstrapped as long as we could, and then it started to ramp up, and we saw we saw growth. But we had very early partners, so the idea for that first launch was that it was a nine month sales cycle. Um, and once we had the letter of intent from the company, then the investors said, "Okay, I'll uh, you know we'll, we'll give you the, the, the first seed money to, to make this happen." And what have and you raised to date? To make it happen. Yeah. And what have you raised today, Daniel? Uh, Two hundred forty-five million. Two forty-five, and, and so this is obviously fairly aggressive, right? A lot of people are arguing that you can actually stay private now with so much kind of VC money out there. Is that generally the plan for you guys? You're kind of out of the. I mean, you'd have to do some very drastic things, I imagine, to prepare yourself to go public and get out from under kind of liquidation preferences and things. Yeah, so we've always had a long-term approach to the business and, and had uh, you know clean terms from investors. So um, you know, the, the, I think for us, it's really about when the market opportunity makes the most sense and. For now, uh, you know, we're seeing a lot of growth and trajectory in the private markets, uh, but at the same time, we do see um, it being you know more attractive, and there's a bigger opening than ever for enterprise companies of our profile to go public. So I think that we're um, you know investing ahead of the curve, and and uh, you know hopeful that uh, we, we continue to focus for the long term, whether that means you know private or, or public down the road. Yep. And what are you at today in terms of revenue? I uh, can't disclose. Okay. Have you put out anything that's given a general range in that, or what was the last update you gave publicly? Um, it was probably years ago, but, um, you know, we've been recognized as being one of the fastest companies in the world and, um, you know, continuing to, or in, in the Bay area and, and, and in technology. And then, uh, you're definitely continuing the, the, the growth trajectory and excited uh, to have, you know, announcements in the future. Yeah. There, I mean, there's a pretty reliable source that said in 13, you passed 9 million and then in 14, you'd more than doubled up to 18. Have you guys passed the hundred million dollar mark yet? 
I, I, like I said, I can't say, but definitely, you know, grown tremendously since then. So it's been a, a fun, steep curve. What is, at your scale, what does, what does tremendous growth actually mean? It changes. It's easier to go from $1 to $2. It's much harder to go from a hundred million to 200 million. Yeah, no. We'd, um, so what I would say is that, uh, we used to call this thing called like the formula one track, which is if you can go, uh, triple, triple, double, double, double. Um, so for a while that was, you know, the, the trajectory that we're on. And now we're falling nicely into what you'd see in public comps in terms of growth rates for, for, for benchmarks. Got it. I mean, just south of, just basically just south of doubling. I can't say, but uh, you're definitely excited. Well, what, just save me the work from finding the public benchmarks. I mean, when you say you're looking at public benchmarks, what specifically are you referring to? Other SaaS companies that are public and their growth rates at your size? Or Yeah, exactly. Yeah, got it. Very good. Um, tell me about churn. Um, so one of the things that's uh, unique about us is we have uh, net dollar retention across our customer cohorts. So because we have, you know, the potential upside within enterprises that we sign on. You mean um, above 100%? Everyone has net dollar retention, but you mean you have a hundred, more than 100%? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that okay. cohort. Yeah. Um, so it's pretty cool because our customers, you know, uh, stick with us and buy more, uh, which, is, which is super exciting. Do you have, I mean, you have enough, I imagine, enough years of history to understand pretty predictably what a year one ACV turns into in year two and year three and year four. I mean, generally speaking, are you driving like 110% net dollar retention, 140%? What's that look like? Um, it ranges by customer, but what we definitely see is that, um, you know, and once our customers get, get going, um, you know, there's a trajectory that's north of double digits in terms of, uh, you know, predictable growth. Okay. And it definitely depends on the, the size and the scale of the company. And everyone obviously changes pricing, product mix, et cetera, to understand which kind of levers are most effective for driving expansion revenue. You probably get a lot of feedback from your sales team on this, but what have you found to be the most successful kind of pricing axes to drive the expansion? Is it a utility metric, like a number of whatever build contacts, or is it a product add-on? Where do you see that falling? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that um, when, when you think about pricing, the way I look, to look at it is always how do you create the most value for the customer stakeholders that you're working with? Um, so we've really kind of kept the same pricing framework, uh, but really always anchored it based on value. So as we roll out new products, we look at you know, what value would I create for our customers and how do we make it work with their business cases? So oftentimes for customers uh, you know, of ours, they want to move to a predictable recurring model, uh, but at the same time, they may have some you know, CapEx or want to do certain integrations. So what we've focused on um, is a really automating a lot of the components, of our platform to reduce the cost uh, to deploy and launch. Um, and that makes for a much more predictable revenue stream. And we can do that through a lot of product automation. So, yeah, you know, if you go back to some of our first customer launches, it would have taken thousands of custom engineering hours to get that going. We've gotten that down to point and click, which adds huge value in the ecosystem. So for our customers, it reduces time to market um, drives more predictability, uh, and thereby, uh, you know, adds a lot more value for them. Is there a single utility metric you've kind of identified as the core value metric? HubSpot would say number of contacts, Salesforce might use something else. You know, Twilio would say number of API calls via text. Do you guys have a metric like that that really drives a lot of your business? Yeah, we really think about gross market value. So it's the aggregate, um, you know, sell through across any one client, um, and making sure that that meets their objectives and goals. Got it. Um, so uh, net dollar retention, obviously, in a great spot. What are you paying to acquire new customers typically? Um, so what we what's unique about us is that we have a really um, kind of small uh, elephant hunting type uh, team. So for this revenue scale that we have, we've traditionally had a, a relatively smaller um, enterprise uh, sales team, um, which really gives us an effective uh, you know, cost of acquisition. Um, because to get some of these large deals, you know, we have one rep. And um, what's, what's really exciting is that you know, for the, the uh, sales team here, uh, the more they stay, typically the, the more skill sets they gain and they can 
really make a lot of money in, in terms of uh, you know working with the right deals and um, adding a lot of value to our customers. So what's your team size today? Um, so overall, we're about uh, 650 people. Okay, ba- based mainly in San Fran or spread out? Um, spread out. So one of the things we started you know, in San Francisco um, and scaled to about 200 here. And then um, through both acquisition and organic uh, have grown uh, elsewhere. So we have a big footprint in Canada, um, both uh, in Montreal, Calgary and Ottawa and continue to grow um, you know, uh, across all of our different vectors. Um, let me ask on the economics question around CAC a little bit differently. You're probably at a scale where you, you focus more kind of on, you know, new dollars of ARR driven per dollar invested or kind of magic number kind of stuff. Do you have a typical payback period you like to try and hit or stay below? Um, definitely we have internal targets in terms of where we want to be. Um, I think that it depends on really the, the cohorts that we're selling into. So as I mentioned, you know, we have our enterprise sales force. We look to you know, benchmark them against, uh, you know, certain, uh, you know, payback period. Um, and then we look at that in commercial as well. Talk, talk to me about just the enterprise side there. What do you see? Don't talk about your specific numbers, but when you do try and benchmark, who are you looking at and what are those paybacks you're typically benchmarking against? Yeah, I mean, I think the way that we'd like to see it is, um, you know, because we have low churn um, or net dollar retention and because we can generally get long sales cycles, um, what we what we see is that um, if we pay more upfront from a compensation perspective or, or cost of sales perspective, um, over time, you know, we make that back pretty, pretty significantly. Um, and we've played around with different levers in terms of, uh, you know, what you want to look at. But if my advice to anyone who would be looking at setting, you know, comp and, and, uh, expectations is to really think about, you know, what are the, what are the behaviors or drivers that will happen no matter what? So if you know that your customers are signing up, there's a lot of value, they're going to stay for a long time. Um, then you can afford to be more flexible on the, on the upside. Um, provided the market opportunity is really big. But I'm generally, I mean, you've raised so much capital. I could, I could see a very rational argument where you're being more aggressive in terms of payback because you have the cash cushion. I mean, are you up north of like 18 months right now in terms of payback? Or are you closer to 12 or six? Um, we're definitely in that range depending on the cohort. Um, but, uh, but I think you could definitely, again, because of the customer lifetime values, we can, we can definitely be in a, a larger range than six. How do you, a last question here before we wrap up, how do you model lifetime values with, with confidence? You know, a lot of people say we have six years of lifetime value and they could argue for like indefinite value. It's infinite because churn is so low, but that can be dangerous. How do you keep yourself honest on that metric? Yeah. So I think when, whenever you approach long-term value, I think you can lean from, from the data in the past to prove. Um, but ultimately there has to be a call on comfort level made and that's where the levers can, can draw. So as you mentioned, you know, if you have more of a cash cushion and you want to be more aggressive to, to capture a lot of market, um, then you can take a bolder stance on um, either the way you think about that lifetime value. If not, you want you can be uh, you know much more conservative. Yep. Um, uh, actually, I lied. One last question before we wrap up. So are you guys yeah. fi- filing to go public in the next 12 months or no? I obviously can't answer that, but I think we're really you know excited about the position we're in. And, uh, you know, we'll definitely reach out to you when we have more news to come. Very good. Let's wrap up here with the famous five. Number one, what's your favorite business book? Uh, how to win friends and influence people, uh, Dale Carnegie. Number two, is there a CEO you're following or studying right now? Uh, Izzy Sharp from the Four Seasons. So who was that? Uh, Izzy Sharp uh, from the Four Seasons. I've always admired him. Got a chance to meet him uh, earlier this year. Number uh, three, what's your favorite online tool for building your business besides your own? Uh, uh, a ton of amazing online tools, uh, but I'll say uh, FreshBooks is great for invoicing. Number another <laughs> another good Canadian breakout story. Number uh, exactly. number four, how many hours of sleep do you get every night? Uh, six. That's pretty good. And what's your situation? Married, single, you have kids? Uh, getting married this summer. Oh, good. So no, no kids yet then, huh? No, not yet. All right. Very good. And how old are you? 
I'm 33. 33. Last question. What do you wish your 20-year-old self knew? Uh, just have conviction in your vision and keep going. Guys, there you have it. Have conviction in your vision. Keep going. He learned a lot uh, from his furniture company in terms of buying software and the difficulties with it back in 2011 after he graduated, teamed up with his buddies, had his sights out for a big multi-million dollar first deal, hit the ground running and learned the hard way. It wasn't going to be so easy, but they've had success. They've scaled the company now over 650 people at AppDirect, basically doing what a you know a HubSpot might do for marketing and sales. They're doing for e-commerce, four core products, uh, many more, uh, or sorry, beachheads, many products under each of those beachheads. Again, measuring kind of gross market volume or gross transaction volume across their customers using those products. Super healthy economics, 245 million bucks raised, uh, millions of paying customers. Daniel, thank you for taking us to the top. Thanks a lot. Take care.